Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kolarsip, and it is U.S. Men's National Team Match Day. The U.S. takes on Jamaica in World Cup qualifying in Austin, Texas. We'll break it all down for you in the hours leading up to the big match. And uh, I myself am not in Austin. I'll, I'll be heading up to Connecticut to the uh, to the studios for, for our uh, CBS Sports coverage of, of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. But we'll have this breakdown for you talking U.S.-Jamaica, the third meeting between these teams this year. I know it's pretty crazy to, to the fact that they played. this is going to be the third time this year, but obviously the most important of those meetings, we'll dig into that, all angles of that. We'll talk CONCACAF, the rest of CONCACAF. We'll talk the latest player to choose Mexico over the U.S. men's national team. And we'll also get into MLS, obviously the busy weekend that was. Obviously, it's what, Thursday already. So it's been a few days. It's been a while. Um, and again, apologies for for the delay in, in getting the episode out. We will have a reaction episode after U.S. Jamaica uh, that will look to drop Friday or Saturday. I need to figure this out. The next match, the next World Cup qualifier is actually Sunday against Panama. So you have that quick turnaround, that gap between the two. So the next episode will break down U.S. Jamaica and also preview U.S. Panama in Panama City. And uh, here's a little tip for you. A little factoid, U.S. has never lost in Panama, which I know it sounds a little crazy when you think about uh, how tough it is in Central America. And obviously the U.S. has never won in Costa Rica. They've never won uh, an official competition match in Mexico, not the Mexico Central America, but it's been tough. It's tough down there. Honduras, the U.S. has lost in Honduras, but Panama, the U.S. has never lost. And not to get ahead of ourselves, we have a game to talk about Thursday night in Texas, U.S. Jamaica. The reggae boys are in Texas, and it's going to be an interesting battle. And the good news for the U.S. is that Jamaica is missing its two most dangerous attacking players in Leon Bailey and Michael Antonio. The West Ham striker uh, did not travel with Jamaica. He did not come for the October qualifiers. He's staying back in England, and that's definitely uh, going to bring some relief to the U.S. defense because Antonio obviously had been in outstanding form for West Ham, and that's a huge loss for Jamaica. And that's the good news. Now, obviously, the bad news for the U.S. is the fact that their two best attacking players are not in this group with Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic. Both out injured. They will not feature. They're not playing in these October qualifiers. And that's obviously, we've known about that. That's not a new thing. They, they were injured in September, in the September qualifiers. And obviously, they didn't recover. They haven't been playing for their club team. So we knew this was coming. And the real question in the build-up to this match on Thursday has, has, has been, who will pick up the slack? Who will replace them? Who are going to be... Uh, how will the U.S. adapt and deal with not having their two best attacking players in Christian Pulisic and Giorena? And obviously they're going to miss those guys, but the sense you get is that they're pretty confident that this group is pretty confident that they have the players to pick up the slack. Yeah, obviously missing you know players like Gio and Christian, um, you know that that obviously affects the team. They're creative players. They're dynamic players. But when you when you look at the squad and the depth of the squad, um, we've always had that next up, that next man up mentality. And to see faces like this coming in where guys are playing week in and week out for their clubs and, you know, doing really well. It's great to see. Now, the, what the one thing I definitely wanted to get into and I, and I was on the on Sirius XM with with Brian Dunseth and, and Tony Miola a few days ago. Uh, talking about you know previewing the match a little bit and, and talking about the national team and one thing I did want to I stress that I'm pretty sure I stressed them but I'm definitely going to stress now is the fact that I think I feel like people just overlook the fact that so many players in September 
were going through their first World Cup qualifying experience. And uh, it's a big thing when you think about it's one thing for one or two players to kind of be in this new environment and and deal with the pressure and the environment and everything that goes into road qualifying, especially when you talk about Central America. However, 16 players went through their first World Cup qualifying experiences in September, and now a lot of those players are back in October. They have that under their belts. They know what it entails. They know what goes into it, the challenges, the the intensity, the atmosphere, the, the fireworks, uh, you know, you name it, they've seen it now. And obviously, look, one or two games or three games isn't that's it. They're obviously locked in. They're veterans. Nothing will phase them. They're, they have it all solved. No, I'm not saying that, but at least the seal has been broken in terms of now a lot of these guys have been through it. And, of course, there's going to be some players. There are some players in this group, this October camp squad, who weren't there in September, who are going to be going through their first World Cup qualifying experience. You have Gianluca Busio, Luca Delator. Matthew Hoppy. So there are obviously a, a couple of players who will be experiencing it for the first time. But what's different is more of the players have have been through it. They have f- felt it, the pressure, the difference. They understand, you know, a lot more of them will understand the difference going into it. And that should create a better atmosphere overall for the group. A lot of these guys coming in um, last camp probably didn't know what to expect. Right. And, and you can you can try and prep everyone and you can talk to them about it. Uh, and, and try and tell them your experience. But at the end of the day, there's nothing like, you know, you, you doing something for the first time for yourself and, and understanding uh, what that's like. And I think that's what a lot of these guys got uh, last round of qualifying, which uh, I 100% believe that it, it, it's going to help and it's going to pay off in the long run. Um, and, and, you know, we'll pay off this, this round of games. Now, obviously, not only are Pulisic and Reyna out for the U.S. national team, but John Brooks has uh, has been forced out. He he had a back injury, so he did not uh, make the trip in October. And obviously, that's an unfortunate one, especially coming off of what was a disappointing September for him. His his play in September was was terrible. And you know, I know a lot of people were anxious to see how he would respond, how he would rebound. And now he's not playing. And I it's interesting because I already. You're starting to get some question marks from some, you know, fans and whoever as far as, oh, is, you know, what is, is he committed? Like, what's going on? Is this a real thing? Or is it, and like, I, I would say, take it easy with that, that kind of talk, because, it, you know, I mean, me personally, I've, I've spoken to John Brooks and I full, am fully aware of how important a national team is to him. And if anything, he's been eager to see his role increase with the national team. He wants to be captain. He, it's important to him. The national team is important to him. So the, any idea or any suggestions that, you know, he's, you know what, blowing it off now, or maybe, you know, Wolfsburg has kind of gotten in his ear to, to get him to not come like that. That all, that's all like, uh, you know, a little bit of fiction conjecture there. Um, and again, that, that, is in line with things in the past where we have heard talk of, you know, German, German American players not being committed. And, and, and that's really the thing that has kind of, you know, unfairly painted a lot of these players. Now, does that mean there have, there've never been players who weren't fully committed? Oh no, of course there, there, I'm sure there've been occasions, there've been situations. And because of that, there is a bit of a stigma, uh, which is pretty unfair when you try to paint an entire group because of, you know, one or two, 
who may not have been committed. But I, I mean, I think it, I'm I'm pretty confident in saying John Brooks is committed to this national team. However, the form is the issue with with John Brooks. And obviously in in September, he struggled. There's no other way to say it against Canada. He did not play well against Honduras. He was terrible. So if he had not been injured, would he be uh, he'd obviously be on the team. But would he be starting? I say yes. I think he would have been starting. Um, obviously, the form, you wonder how he would look in camp. But just I think it would have been tough to, to keep his experience out of the lineup as much as he had a rough go in, against Honduras last time around. But he's not here. And what we do have are some young center backs. And that's definitely going to be one of the top storylines heading into these October qualifiers is how this group of young central defenders uh, responds to what is going to be some interesting challenges and some new challenges because you you are going to see um, – you're going to see some combinations, most likely, that you haven't seen before. And the good news is Miles Robinson is, is you know, on an outstanding run of form. He's played. He's been playing very well. The Gold Cup, September qualifiers, he's been he's been on fire. He, and he's earned himself the spot as the as the go to guy, as the starter at center back. And now with Brooks out, he's you know, you're starting you're building your central defense with him. As your first, the first name in the sheet at center back, Miles Robinson. So then the question becomes who starts next to him? And that's going to be uh, the very interesting one for me because, you know, you look at Walker Zimmerman, has the, he's the veteran, right? He, of this center back group, he's the most experienced. However, you have Mark McKenzie, who's, play, who's more recently played in big matches with the national team. When you talk about the Nations League, when you talk about the the road game in Honduras, which he just played in September, he played well in that game. So when you look at those matches, you say McKenzie has has been there pretty recently, so he should have the edge, right? He should be the guy that starts next to Miles Robinson. And if that's the tandem, you, you're feeling pretty good about that, that that combination and, and their strength and their athleticism. The Robinson-McKenzie pairing would be a pretty solid duo. And you would like, I mean, me personally, I think that would they would match up pretty well against Jamaica especially with no Antonio for the Jamaica attack, you like the matchup. Now, having said that, I think Chris Richards is a very strong case to start, and I really believe that we can see and that we will see Chris Richards start against Jamaica. And if not against Jamaica, he will be starting in qualifiers in October. Uh, and, and he's someone, obviously, anyone who's listened to the show over the years knows that, you know, I've been high on, on Richards for a long time now. His skill set, everything he brings to the table, and now he's getting that experience. And I think it's pretty clear that that Greg Berhalter likes these young central defenders, and he's ready to give them their opportunities in October. It's a tough one, right? Because um, they are young. Um, they do lack experience. But the only way to get experience is by actually getting on the field. And, you know, when you think about Chris Richards playing in the Bundesliga or Mark McKenzie playing in um, Belgium First League or Miles, you know, his resume, what he's done for Atlanta over these last years, you know, it's been impressive. And then add to that group Walker, who's a veteran, who's been around, has played a ton of games in MLS. And we think we have, you know, a physical enough group of center backs um, and it's it's time to get them some opportunities. When you talk about center back, Chris Richards is definitely a name to watch. And I'm just going to give a quick rundown in terms of the players that, for me, in October, I think are going to have a big role to play and are going to have that opportunity to break out in October. You have, you want to start with Chris Richards. Obviously, we just talked about center backs. But I would say Gianluca Busio, I think, is poised to kind of have a really big October. And, it's you know, you watch him play in Italy with Venezia. His comfort level 
and his confidence are at an all-time high right now. When you watch him play and you see how he has settled in. And he, for me, is a much better player now than he was the last time U.S. played Jamaica. And he played well against Jamaica in the Gold Cup. He had a, he had a solid game. He was starting. And he comes in now to this camp with that run of starts and run of solid performances in Serie A and that and the, the confidence that that gives you. So I think for me, he is a very good candidate to start. And if he doesn't start against Jamaica, I think he will start in whether it's against Costa Rica. I don't know about him starting against Panama just because I think Berhalter is going to go with a veteran, a more experienced group in Panama. And I think you, you, you're going to see, you know, Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Lejet, potentially Christian Roldan, potentially Jesse Zardes. I think you're going to see those kind of veterans get that challenge in Panama. That's personally how, you know, I, I see it breaking out. So for me, when I did my projected lineup, of who I who I see who I see starting or being able to start who I who I would start against Jamaica, Gianluca Busio is definitely on that list just because I think he's in very good form and I really like the idea of a Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Gianluca Busio midfield in a four three three and look as far as systems go we're gonna we're gonna see four three three I I don't think the the three five two or five three two however you want to call it I don't think we're gonna see that this window and I definitely don't think we're gonna see that against Jamaica we're gonna see the four three three in the home games for sure in my opinion I think that's what we're gonna see but yeah the midfield I'd like to see Busio but obviously you have Sebastian Lejet who has made things happen all year and obviously he came off the bench and and had an impact against Honduras he has that experience and you know he brings that creativity and I know there's obviously some critics who don't rate him or who who think "Eh, let's go with the younger guys and there are some other younger options when you talk about Yunus Musa you have Luca Delator in group in the camp now so there are some possibilities there are some other options but me personally as far as who I see Berhalter going with I see legit. I see legit getting the nod. However, I personally would like to see Busio get the opportunity because of the confidence level he's playing with, the form he's in. And I, I would like to see that particular combination of McKinney, Busio, and Adams. And I really think it'd be a dynamic trio. And I think they could work pretty well together. But hey, if you if it ends up being legit McKinney and Adams, they've played I'm pretty sure they've played together before as a trio. And I think they'd be able to create the chances, especially with the dynamic front three that I think we're going to see. I think that group can create the chances that you want for that front three. And who the front three is going to be, I would say it's going to be Ricardo Pepe at striker, Brendan Aronson, and Tim Way on the wings. I just, I mean, I just think that's that's what we're going to see because when you look, when you talk about form, I mean, those are the three most informed players right now in terms of the attack on this group in this group in this camp Jordan there was a lot of talk about Jordan Pifak and he is in good form he's been scoring goals for young boys he scored the goal the winner against Man United as everyone saw and then he's continued to score goals after that Greg Berhalter has already explained why he chose not to bring him in but there's no doubting Pifak is in form but Ricardo Pepe also in form we saw what he did in September and I really want to see what Aronson and Weah can do and if they can carry over this outstanding club form that they've been in into the national team. And Brendan Aronson, the September that he had, he bounced he bounced back from what would for me was a disappointing performance against El Salvador. There's no other way to say it. He really had a rough go against El Salvador. But guess what? He shook it off. He re, he responded and he scores the goal against Canada. He scores a goal against Honduras. And he is on a roll right now. So he carried that into his his club play with Salzburg. He's playing in Champions League. So he is absolutely locked in starter. 
as much as Greg Berhalter is only identified one starter, he he did uh, say on Wednesday that Weston McKinney's starting. I don't know. I don't think anyone was surprised to hear that, but that that's the one we know. But I think it's fair to say Brendan Aronson's going to start. Tim Way is another one. He for me, he has to start just because of the form he's in. And look, if not for some bad luck for him in terms of injuries, in terms of opportunities that he was in line to receive only to just have an injury come at the worst possible time, this has happened a few times with him now. So that's really the main reason he still hasn't broken in and really taken hold of a more prominent role with the national team. But the quality is there. The talent is there. Anyone who's seen him at Lille, especially in recent weeks, he's really been in a good rhythm. And so I really see him. He's going to be, for me, a player, if you're asking me who I see really kind of just really stepping forward and and kind of making making an impact, I really think Tim Weah could have a huge, huge October. Now, what challenge will Jamaica present? Obviously, not having Leon Bailey, not having Mikel Antonio, that's huge. That's a huge one. Uh, it makes them a much less dangerous attack, but they are still going to pose a threat and it's going to be a physical game. I'll tell you that right now. Jamaica is a strong and physical team. They are. I think I see them being, you know, trying to bully the U.S. around. And, I, you know, I wonder how that knowing that. And I think that's it's, this is no secret here. I, I can't help but wonder how that is going to instruct the lineup that Berhalter goes with. It, you know, whether it's Legette, whether it's Busio, we're definitely going to see McKinney and Adams. Right. But. Will, will he consider a Yunus Musa, who's very strong on the ball? Or will he just go with Legit with, with his experience, even though you kind of wonder if you'd rather have Legit start against Panama? So that's that's the juggling that's going on here because Berhalter's already made it clear. Look, I don't want to start the same guys every game. We need to rotate. We need to spread the minutes around, keep people fresh. We don't want to burn the team out and, and be in a bad situation. Toward the end of the window, when you talk about Costa Rica, that's going to be a challenging game, obviously, with, with the veterans and the, and the quality that Costa Rica has and Kaylor Navas in goal. They are going to be a challenge at in that last game. And obviously, Panama, you, even though you've never lost in Panama, We've seen the Panama team in September that is already exceeding expectations that as much as their golden generation came and went and this was supposed to be a down period for Panama, they started off pretty well. They smoked Jamaica. They beat Jamaica in Jamaica, which was really what turned things on its head in in terms of September, because I don't think anyone saw that. It's one thing for them to beat Jamaica, but for them to just tear apart Jamaica in Jamaica. That was a that was a kind of an eye opener, along with Panama completely outplaying Costa Rica in their first meeting. So when you see that, you're like, whoa, wait a minute, who is this Panama team? We, I mean, I, me personally, I confess, I had Panama last in in the octagonal when I did my projection. I had them dead last, and it was really because they don't have that star power. They 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 don't have the the players who led their generation. You know, five, ten in the five, ten years earlier, when you talk about Blas Perez and Roman Torres and Gabriel Gomez, Jaime Pinedo, that core is gone. Felipe Beloy, that core is gone now. And what's interesting about Panama, and I'm getting a little ahead of it, obviously, they, the U.S. plays Panama on Sunday, so we'll definitely get into that in the next episode. But the, what's interesting about that Panama team is that you have a lot of role players who have experience playing in these kind of games and playing in qualifiers that were part of those teams that just, you know, they weren't the names, they weren't the stars, but they played in a lot of those games. So now you have that experience nucleus that is really driving what they're doing now. And that's why it's catching people off guard a little bit. And people are like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't see this Panama team being this good. What I will say, and, you know, don't call me a hater, but I, I'm not convinced that those results in September 
are going to hold up uh, or that they're going to be able to maintain that. I think some things went their way. Some things played out. They are going to be better than we all expected. I'll be the first to say that. For me personally, I do I do see now them being more of a challenge than I thought they were going to be. But do I see them as a top four team in the octagonal? No. Do I see them continuing to rack up the results? I'm not convinced. So the, the, I tell you what, their game in El Salvador is going to tell us a lot because El Salvador is a tough one. They're, they're a tough team to break down. They, they had a couple of home qualifiers in, in September, and obviously they tied the, U, the U.S. They're a tough team. So if Panama can go to El Salvador and get a win there, then it then that puts things in a different light in terms of what they did in September. However, if they don't beat El Salvador, if El Salvador makes it tough, they tie them, or even if El Salvador beats them, I think at that point you say to yourself, okay, maybe this is more the real Panama. And we're and they aren't gonna be this complete surprise that's gonna be a top three, top four team in the octagonal. Now the other matches in CONCACAF this uh Thursday on the schedule, the headliner isn't actually U.S. Jamaica. It's actually Mexico versus Canada. That's the game of the day. And obviously, you have a U.S. fan. You don't care about the U.S. Jamaica, or that's your uh, top priority, your headliner. However, Mexico versus Canada, that is going to be a game. And the quality, when you talk about Canada really emerging and really stepping forward as a force, as a team that you have to Me personally, I pick them top three. I think they're going to be a top three team. They have the talent. There's no question about it. They had a good September. They're ready to rock. They're heading into Mexico. However, L3 is closer. They're pretty much mostly back to full strength. They were missing a lot of their top players in September. When you talk about Irving Lozano, Hector Herrera, um, they had a lot of guys that just that were not available. Raul Jimenez, obviously, he has he had you know more than a year away because of the the skull fracture. But all those guys are in now. When you talk about Lozano, Herrera's back, and and uh, Jimenez, uh, Johan Vasquez, they're bringing the, pretty much the only kind of bigger name that they're missing is Diego Linus, and he's not even necessarily a starter. So when you want to talk about your potentially full strength Mexican eleven. They should have it against Canada, so that's going to make an, uh, that's going to make for a great game. They're in Azteca. You're going to have at least, I believe, sixty thousand fans in Azteca, which it sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. But let's not forget now that's like half of capacity for Azteca. Azteca is a humongous, obviously, talking more than a hundred thousand capacity. But still, it's going to it should be a great atmosphere. The Mexico obviously did not have fans in September when they played Jamaica. They were they were uh, you know going through the whole ban because of the homophobic chants that were take, that took place back in, in the spring in Olympic qualifying in Guadalajara. So Mexico obviously had to pay the price for that. They had no fans in September. They will have fans against Canada. And that game, I'm telling you, that if, if you know, obviously you're listening to this show, 99% chance you're a USA fan. But if you once you're done watching the USA game, you better be watching the Mexico-Canada game because that, I mean, I think that's going to be a hell of a game. Uh, when you talk about Canada with Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Kyle Aaron's a little banged up. Then you want to see if he's going to be available and if he's going to be able to start. But still, they have so many weapons. They are now a dynamic team. I think they're a well-coached team. John Herdman, I feel like he has really shown his quality as a, as a coach since he's taken over the men's team, uh, coming over from the women's team. So I, I really like Canada's chances. I still think Mexico wins because, look, in Azteca, it's not easy to win in Azteca, especially against a full-strength Mexico team. However, Canada's going to make it interesting. That game is going to be a barn burner. And I want to see if Alfonso Davies, uh, you know, steps up and kind of show, you know, he is the star. He is the star attraction of that Canada team. And this is the exact kind of game where you want to see an Alfonso Davies do his thing. So we'll see if he can do it. 
You have El Salvador hosting Panama, and obviously Panama with the September that they they had, they're going to be considered the favorite. However, El Salvador is not an easy team to deal with in El Salvador, as we saw. So I think that's gonna that one's going to tell us a lot about where both those teams stand. Honduras hosting Costa Rica, and you want to talk about a team under pressure. Honduras with the loss that they suffered in September to the United States. If if they don't if they don't get all three points against Costa Rica, I think Fabian Coito, the Honduras manager, might really. You have to start looking over his shoulders. They need this one. They have to. They absolutely have to win this game. And Costa Rica, obviously, if they can get a draw or especially if they get a win, all of a sudden the Ticos are feeling really good about where they stand heading into the rest of October. So, you know, some interesting storylines to watch in CONCACAF on Thursday. Now, getting away from World Cup qualifying a bit, uh, we have a somewhat U.S. men's national team related story that I definitely wanted to touch on, and that is Julian Araujo has chosen to play for Mexico. And again, not a surprise. We kind of saw this coming. There had been rumors for a good while now that that's the decision he was going to make, that he was going to follow the the path that, that David Ochoa recently took. And I believe they're both represented by the same agent, so I don't know if that had any part to play in that whole situation. But Araujo has made his his, his uh, intentions known, and he kind of laid it all out in, uh, in some social media postings. And look, at the end of the day, I know U.S. fans are going to be like, "Whatever, we have other right backs." Uh, Joe, you know, Joe Scally called, and he's uh, he'll 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 handle things while you go play for Mexico. I'm sure. Look, U.S. fans can you can be however you want to be. You can feel however you want to feel. But I, I mean, I just kind of would caution to like not necessarily try to villainize people because they make these decisions at the end of the day very personal decision and when it comes down to it it's uh, julian Araujo has obvious ties to mexico his family his, his uh, you know his self-identity so like if he feels like that's where he should be and who he should play for it, it, like it, i don't I think it's a very, you know, it's a very slippery slope there. If you how how you want to criticize that, and obviously no one no one's telling U.S. fans to be happy for him or happy about the decision, but just be a little careful how you kind of look at that and how you address that and deal with that and understand that. At least try to understand it, and that's what I, I don't feel like enough fans take the take the time to really try to understand why these players make these decisions and you can you can obviously you know say ah oh, you know it's it's a, it's a self-serving thing it, it's really more about competition he has a better chance to play against mexico play for mexico than he has playing for the u.s which is stacked it right back i get all that you can break that all down if you want but it, I, I just feel like it's a little dismissive to say that there's nothing that there's no real tangible legitimate motivation behind this for Araujo. and i think that's I think that's BS. I mean, I, I think it's easy to dismiss that. Now, obviously, David Ochoa, when he made his decision, there was there was definitely a lot out there, to, you know, questioning his motives and questioning how could someone who played for the U.S. in June all of a sudden turn around and, and play for Mexico and then lay out this whole storyline about why he always felt like he should play for Mexico. Did it does did some of that feel not completely genuine? I, I could see that and. I've been on record and I've said it a few times. I have interviewed David Ochoa. I have asked him about that. Now, this is obviously more than a year ago and things change. I get that. But I just would caution people in how they they come at this, this decision, this story. You don't have to care. You definitely don't have to care. Because look, guess what? He doesn't play. Julian Araujo is not playing for the U.S. anymore. Now you can, you know, whatever amount of time you're going to spend caring or paying attention to Julian Araujo, you don't have to now. Now you can pay attention to Joe Scali. You can pay attention to any number of right backs, Serginho Dest, uh, Shaq Moore, 
uh, Brian Reynolds and playing at AS Roma, or he's at AS Roma. So there are more than enough right backs. You don't have to care about Julian Araujo, but just maybe try to understand, maybe take the moment and not necessarily be cynical and negative about it. And that's that's where I'm I, like for me. I, I just I don't like some of the stuff that I, I see and that I hear and it's just it's just way too easy for people to kind of, you know, maybe hide behind the shield of fandom to maybe display a little bit something on bordering on a little bit of racist uh, undertones and racist intentions. And look, that's not to say that anyone critical of his decision is racist. No, but just be careful. That's all I'm saying. Try to understand Everyone's decision when it comes to this the dual national thing, especially if you don't have multiple nationalities in your background and you don't have that to relate or understand, like maybe talk to people who do or maybe just be careful about how you kind of approach this and how you talk about this and how you feel about it. Because if you're feeling, you know, it's fine to be unhappy that he made the decision if you wanted him to play. Like I can imagine being a Galaxy fan. You're an LA Galaxy fan who loves the U.S. men's national team. Super conflicted, right? He just chose Mexico. You kind of have to hate him now because he's playing for your main rival. But you know what? Maybe just take it easy a little bit. He he made the decision he made. Uh, and let's just try to respect the decisions that these players would make. And guess what? If and when he plays for Mexico, which could come in November, uh, when the U.S. plays Mexico, maybe he's on the Mexican national team at that time. You can cheer against them all you want. You can call them a traitor. You can do whatever you want. But just really try to understand why these players made these decisions rather than just dismiss them or or just automatically assume there can't be reasonable reasons for like reason, good reasons and, log, and 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 you know legitimate reasons for these players to make these decisions. I think it's just way too casual you don't want to get into the habit of casually dismissing things that obviously in some of these cases in a lot of these cases they're really meaningful decisions and they're really real emotions driving these decisions. Now, moving on in MLS, we're going to get into a little MLS news. And we'll start off with Chris Albright has been hired as the general manager of FC Cincinnati. And I'll just say right off the bat, my condolences to Chris Albright for being hired by FC Cincinnati. Because as we know, it's not a great place to be. It hasn't been a great place to be for any number of GMs, technical directors, slash head coaches that they've had since they got into MLS and even before they got into MLS. And is Albright going to be the guy to really turn things around? That's going to be the question, right? And obviously, Albright's been working with the union for years now. He's obviously been a part of their team that helped you know, build such a successful union side and helped turn things around with the union. So I think logically speaking, you might say, well, he was part of that. Why can't he help Cincinnati turn things around? And when it really comes down to it, whether or not Albright succeeds and whether or not the head coach that they eventually do hire succeeds still will come down to ownership and ownership, putting people in place to succeed and, and getting out of the way. I've been on record. I've said it enough times. Jeff Birding, who runs things in Cincinnati, essentially, has really been an anchor on that organization. And until he ceases to be an anchor on that organization, Cincinnati's not going anywhere. And it doesn't matter who you bring in. It, it, Daniel Levy as your general manager or sporting director or, who, or you know, Garth Lagerway. It, it, it starts with the top. It starts with your ownership. It starts with the people at the very top who set the tone for everything. And if you have someone in that, in that position at the very top who isn't equipped to reasonably manage an organization, 
it's always going to be held back. It's always going to struggle. It's always going to fail. And that's what we've seen. And I'm not going to sit here and say there's no way Chris Albright's going to succeed. I like Chris Albright. Great guy. But there's a reason a lot of people have failed at Cincinnati. There is a reason. And some people need to start asking these questions. And if this next group of people, if the next head coach and if Albright, if they fall flat, at what point will someone start asking some real questions about the people that run the very top of that organization? And that's Jeff Birding. So we'll see what happens. Maybe Jeff Birding has figured it out. Maybe he's learned his lesson. Maybe he's ready to get out of the way. Maybe he's going to be ready to stop meddling and let people do their thing that actually know the sport and actually know what they're doing. And we'll see if Albright knows what he's doing. We'll see if the new head coach knows what he's doing. But one thing is clear and one thing we want, we've learned over the years is Jeff Birding has no idea what he's doing. He is clueless. We'll see. And you know what? I hope Cincinnati turns it around because they have a they have a fan base. They have a vibrant fan base. It's a it's a soccer city. They ha- they love the, the soccer there, and they've just had to sit here and watch this train wreck of a team. So hopefully, they turn it around. I wish Albright all the luck in the world. I hope he can get it done. Hope Birding lets him get it done. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Up next, at Allianz Field will be hosting the 2022 MLS All-Star Game. Minnesota United, uh, their stadium, which I haven't been to, by the way. I still need to go. Uh, I need to get out there somewhere at some point when it's not cold, obviously, because, I mean, not that I'm afraid of the cold. I'm, I live in Jersey. It gets cold enough here. But I hope to get out there in 2022 at some point because I definitely want to check it out. And I've never actually been to Minneapolis, St. Paul. I want to go. I'm looking forward to it. But the 2022 MLS All-Star Game will be there. So that's a little, little uh, another one of the headlines from Wednesday. And obviously this past weekend, we ha- there was a full slate of MLS matches. I'll run down them for you and just kind of touch on some of them. Austin FC beating RSL 2-1 in Austin. RSL, you know, they're an interesting one. I, I thought, okay, are they ready to really be a force? Are they ready to, are they ready to shock everybody and show that it doesn't matter if Freddie Juarez has left? Pablo Mastrani is the coach now. They're going to turn it around. They're going to be the, you know, they're going to run things. But guess what? They lose to Austin. You can't be losing Austin. I don't care if it was in Austin. I know Austin is always capable of having these kind of games where they they, they really play well. Consistency has been the big problem for them. But still, no excuse. RSL, if you want to be taken seriously, you need to win that game. And they didn't get it done. Atlanta dropping a 2-1 decision to CF Montreal. And that one, I got to say, I'm impressed. Montreal that's an impressive win. I had not been sold on Montreal, and I'm not ready to be sold on Montreal just yet, but I think that's a bit of a statement victory there uh, for Wilfred Nancy in Montreal. And you know what? Atlanta had been on a good roll, and I think that tells us that maybe we need to start taking this Montreal team a little more seriously. Cincinnati, who I just had the rant about, lost to the New York Red Bulls 1-0. No one surprised there. The Red Bulls are on a nice run, and all of a sudden, what is it, five, six in a row without a loss, and they've really been racking up the points. They're still a decent distance away from the playoff spots, but it's good to see this young team responding. And Gerhard Struber, see, like it feels like the project is starting the head in a good direction. And I know for Red Bulls fans, it's such a, it's such a frustrating thing, right? Because you you have fans who have been, who have followed this organization, supported this organization for twenty plus years, never won an MLS Cup. There's been three supporter shields, and that that that's not nothing, and that does have meaning. But there's been there hasn't been that MLS Cup title. So now you're a fan of this team, and you've had to endure that. And now you're being asked to be patient again because there's this young generation. 
And there was that point, I mean, I want to say only like a month ago, where the team was really in a bad bad place. And the fans were really starting to just be like, why do I care about this team? Now you're seeing results. Now you're starting to see a young team come of age. So that's giving some fans and some Red Bull fans some some reason to care. But it's still, I, I, I can totally understand the frustration being a Red Bulls fan and not wanting to wait, not wanting to have to endure another rebuilding phase, not wanting to have to watch young kids develop, wanting a winner, wanting a team that can compete for a title, especially after 20 plus years of not having an MLS Cup title. I totally get that. But hopefully we'll see what this young team can do and we'll see if they can keep it going. You had Orlando City defeat DC United and Darrow DK scoring the winning goal. And I'm pretty sure somebody said Orlando City would beat DC and it would be Darrow DK scoring a goal. Who was that? I can't remember. Anyway, great win. Big win for Orlando City, obviously. DC United, as we've said, they haven't been as good on the road. They're a much better team at home. I think that goes for a lot of teams. But DC, if DC is going to do anything in the playoffs, they need to get step up that road form. And we'll see if they can get it together. Still, it's been a good season for DC and Hernan Lasada. He's done a good job there. So not to take anything away from him on that, but Orlando City, that's a big win for them. FC Dallas, Minnesota 0-0, Whitecaps 3-0. And how about Brian White with the hat trick? I know when the Red Bulls traded Brian White, it was kind of like, oh, this guy's, you know, disposable. He's not that good. He's a USL player. He's 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 you know fourth striker on your roster type player. But guess what? He's actually continued to score goals and is Actually, he might be even scoring more goals than he did with the Red Bulls. So uh, for me, that's impressive to see because, you know, it isn't as simple as, oh, he's just some system player that, you know what, he benefited from what the Red Bulls could create for him. Guess what? He's doing it with a different team. Maybe let's give Brian, start giving Brian White some of the respect that maybe he deserves. NYCFC Nashville 0-0. And NYCFC is in a pretty clear slump right now. And now the news comes that Anton Tinnerholm has suffered an Achilles injury. And I believe he's done for the year. And that's a big blow for NYCFC. All of a sudden, the season is coming off the rails a little bit. And it was just a month ago that NYCFC was looking like a MLS Cup contender. I believe they beat, they beat New England a while back. And that, that win definitely you know made you stand up and say, wait a minute, this NYCFC team, could, could they be in the mix for the, for the MLS Cup title? I don't know now, but definitely a month ago. It was looking like that. Not anymore. Now, there's some real issues there. They've, they've definitely been struggling for form. And maybe there's some good news on uh, for them that now the Yankees, the New York Yankees have been eliminated from the Major League Baseball playoffs, which means NYCFC doesn't have to play at Red Bull Arena anymore. They can play the rest of their games at NYCFC at, at Yankee Stadium, which obviously they're more comfortable playing there in the nice, narrow, small, tiny field that they're used to. So we'll see if that helps them. But it's a little surprising the slump that they've been in. And look, Nashville is no cupcake. So you know what? If you can get a point against Nashville, you take it. But still, NYCFC has obviously been in a rough run, and we'll see if they can turn it around. Sporting KC defeated the Houston Dynamo 4-2. No surprise there. They're, they're obviously you know one of the top teams in the league, real uh, contender, title contender. And Daniel Shaloy, MLS, you know, MLS MVP candidate. I, I still think it's Carlos Gill and Raul Ruiz Diaz in the conversation. But Carlos Gill is looking like the guy. I mean, with, and with, even as much as he missed some games and New England still won without him. I, you know what? That's, that's an interesting one because Daniel Shaloy has had an amazing season. And it's been really just... The, the 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 leap that he's taken now to 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 elite level status has been great to see and credit to Peter Vermees because he obviously is a big has had a big part to play in helping Chaloy uh, realize his potential. Philadelphia Union defeated the Columbus Crew three zero and I'm I'm done trying to figure out the crew. 
because the talents there, they should not be this uncompetitive. They should not, you know, they shouldn't be getting their doors blown off 3-0. Just shouldn't happen. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, you know, I, I definitely tried to hold on and believe that the turnaround's coming and that they're going to figure it out and that the MLS Cup champions are going to show their championship medal. But it just doesn't happen. I don't know what's going on. Caleb Porter's obviously, you know, been trying to figure things out and it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle, but credit to the union. They're continuing to roll. They're rounding into form, climbing up the standings, and they're going to be a handful come playoff time. TFC defeats Chicago Fire 3-1. Again, you know, you're playing out the string, but TFC was always a more talented team than the record. And now we're starting to maybe see signs of this team that we all expected when the season began with TFC. So, you know what? They could play spoiler down the stretch. I mean, I don't see them getting all the way back into the playoff picture, but they're not a team you're going to want to see the last month of the season for sure. Portland Timbers defeated Inter-Miami 1-0. The, the, the air is out of the balloon in Miami. Obviously, they had that nice run, and you were starting to talk playoffs, and Phil Neville was just on his soapbox feeling great. We got it figured out now, finally. No. They have not. They back back down to earth. The pump, you know, the clock has struck twelve. The pumpkin, uh, all the all the metaphors, all the all the metaphors you want to describe a team that has been figured out or a team that has no that lost the momentum that they had. Miami, they their playoffs. I think it's fair to say not looking great for them. But Portland, figuring some things out, starting to find a rhythm. And they are, as always, going to be a fun team to watch in the playoffs. Speaking of playoffs, LA Galaxy, LAFC, 1-1 tie. I know I, neither, I know neither team was happy with that because they, they both need points for different reasons. LAFC is not in playoff position. LAFC might miss the playoffs. And for one, I, was, I think I'd say, look, anyone's crazy that's going to sit here and try to say Bob Bradley shouldn't still be the coach of the team. Uh, because you can't ignore all the challenges of the the, the year they've had when, when you talk about key injuries. You sold uh, Diego Rossi, uh, so there's been a lot of challenges there. But for me, I really hope they figure it out, and figure it out, and get in the playoffs because LAFC is a fun team to watch. They play uh, an attractive brand of soccer, even though it hasn't been as sharp and as good as years past. But still, if LAFC gets in the playoffs, they could really make things happen. They could really, with a healthy Carlos Vela. If, are you going to want to face LAFC as an seven as a seven seed or as a, as a last one of the last seeds in the in the West with a healthy Carlos Vela? I don't think anyone's going to want any part of that. But they got to get there. And right now LAFC is not in the playoffs, so we'll see what they can do. We'll see if Bob Bradley can sort this out. The Galaxy they they've been you know a little back and forth, but they're going to be there. They're going to be in the playoffs, and you know they're going to be a handful. It's year one of the Greg Brandy, Greg Vanny project, by the way. I need I feel like you need to remind people of that because. You know, some people might already be jumping the gun talking about the Galaxy as a, you know, MLS Cup and all that. Let's not forget how bad they were before this year. And the progress that they've made, like, shouldn't just be taken for granted or ignored. Greg Vanny has turned things around, like, considerably, night and day. I mean, they were a hopeless team a year ago. Now, they're a playoff team, and they look like they have the, the, they have the capability of getting better. So... I think if you're a Galaxy fan, you should be feeling pretty good. And last, but certainly not least, maybe the game of the weekend in terms of uh, the you know two teams in form. Seattle Sounders thrash the Colorado Rapids three zero. The Rapids, I believe, had had gone like twelve games unbeaten. So for the Sounders to not only end the streak, but to really manhandle the Rapids and, and you know that Jao Paulo goal. How about that goal of the year candidate? But the Sounders, as we've said, there's a very short list of true MLS Cup contenders. New England Revolution's one. Seattle's one. Sporting KC's another. That's probably the three. 
They're in the penthouse, those three. Maybe New England, you could even say, it has their own private booth in, in the club, in the MLS Cup club. But the Sounders are absolutely right there near the top of the conversation. But I think that's it. That wraps up this episode of the SBI show. Hopefully you get a chance to listen to it uh, ahead of the Jamaica match. And even if, you know, obviously, even if you listen to this after the Jamaica match, hopefully there's enough here to make it interesting and worth your while. Um, but hopefully you get a chance to listen to it, listen to it before the Jamaica match as uh, as we get ready for a very important qualifier. I think we've touched on everything that I was hoping to touch on. Last but certainly not least, Carly Lloyd played her last match uh, near her her hometown of Delran, New Jersey, uh, she played on Wednesday night uh, NWSL match at Subaru Park. Great turnout there. I gotta say, I felt bad. Like I, I wish I could have been there. Like I like when I when I watched the when they had the the they had her give her speech and and you know they poured the Gatorade on her and it was just like I I, want, I really I, I really hope people understand how lucky we've all been to be able to witness her career and how how great a player she was and how big time like a, when you talk about the definition of a big game player Carly Lloyd's that Carly Lloyd's a big game like the bigger the game the better she got the better the better her she stepped up and she found a way to win and gold medal multiple gold medal matches in the Olympics and obviously we know what happened in the World Cup with her against Japan I mean it's 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 one thing it, all you need is one of those. Some people, some people would kill to have one of those big game moments, one of those big game performances in their career. And she had how many? She had a laundry list of those. And that that's a credit to her and her fortitude and her obviously her skill and her talent and just her just she's just this like unstoppable force. And, and we're all we were all lucky to, to experience that. But that I believe that's it. I think we covered everything that I wanted to get into on this episode. Um, obviously we, we need to get the episode out before the Jamaica match and hopefully enough, you know, enough of you can, can enjoy it and listen and get you ready for USA Jamaica big game. I know there's going to be some nerves still, but I tell you what, I think, I think the U S is going to win this one. I think they're going to, with that front three, that the, the Pepe Aronson, Tim Weah attacking trio, I think they're going to do some things. I think they're going to run over Jamaica and that is maybe that's going to be a little ambitious. And if Jamaica wins, it's going to be, you know, feel free to like remind me of what I just said here, but I'm feeling pretty good about this U S team. And I want to see the center backs. I want to see who starts and see, cause it's going to probably be a young tandem. And I think, you know what, that's if they play well, all of a sudden you're feeling so good about these youngsters and how they're evolving and how they're continuing to grow. So I think if you're a U.S. fan, you're going to have some things to feel pretty good about in October. But that's all for now. I'm Ivis Kalarsa. This is the SBI Show.